want to? Am I on? One, two. Yeah. One, two. Did you pick the voiceover? Did you pick the voice. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. For unto us a saviour is born. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why Christmas is so be- so special. The first gift of Christmas was not gold or frankincense or myrrh or even a sheep given by the shepherds. The first gift of Christmas was one of love, of life, of peace. And it was a gift to all his children. Our Father in heaven gave his gift to all his children. And his name is Jesus. We've been talking about the name of Jesus over the last five weeks here at church. And uh, this morning we celebrate that he came today, that we celebrate that he came as the gift to all of us. Let's read in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, the account of when the wise men came to Jesus. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that same, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leaders, leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel." Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the, chi- with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's reports of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. The Messiah had come. The Messiah had come. They'd been waiting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for this promised Messiah to come. Even from the time of Abraham, they'd been waiting for this one through his descendants that would rise up. They'd been waiting for the Messiah to come, and who knows how hard it is to wait. I wonder if there's any kids that have been waiting for Christmas presents, or maybe still you know there's Christmas presents when you go home, but you've just got to wait. 
Waiting can be hard sometimes. Have a listen to what Paul wrote about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We've been talking about the name of Jesus, and Jesus' name, the Bible tells us, is the name above all other names. He is the name above all other names. We've been talking about the other names of Jesus, that He is Yahweh saves, that He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Saviour. He is the light of the world. But He is the name above all other names. That's who this Jesus is that we celebrate the birth of today. It says in that verse that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Every knee should bow. I was thinking about that phrase, every knee should bow. I was thinking, well, why do we bow? What does it mean to bow? So I looked up in the dictionary and it says, bow, front of a ship that breaks through water. I thought, wrong bow, <laughs> wrong bow. Uh, I'll read the next one. It says, a knot tied with two loops and two loose ends. I thought, no, wrong bow again. And then I read the next one. It says, a sign of respect, a greeting, a sign of respect, greeting, or shame, expressing thanks, respect, or surrender. To bow, it can, it can physically mean to bow, but it's a, a sign of respect, a greeting, or even shame. It might be bowing to say, I'm not worthy of your presence. To, as, as the king walks into the room, you might bow in reverence, expressing thanks, respect, or surrender. But I was thinking about that phrase, to bow, and I know the word worship has a very similar meaning. To worship is to revere, to praise, to bow down before, or to glorify. And as it says, every knee should bow, it's really saying every person should understand who this God is, who this Saviour is, and bow in their hearts, worship in their hearts, to honour and respect and give praise to this, this Saviour that has come to earth, the name above all other names. Romans chapter 14, and verse 11 it says, remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. And it's not that God is a, a, a power-hungry God. It's that God knows that life comes through Him. He wants every person to know that life comes through Him. When we disobey His commandments, when we hurt one another, when we, when we sin... It, it causes destruction for us and for those around us. And he says, I want every knee to bow. I want every tongue to confess. We spoke yesterday about the Word made flesh. He wants us to speak the truth in love and to know the truth that sets us free. James chapter 4 
And verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. That's every one of us. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up in honour. It's not about trying to gain any kind of reputation. It's about trying to gain anything in this life other than to worship God, to honour Him, to, to, to discover who He is and He will lift us up. And we can have eternity with Him in paradise, in heaven, forever. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Last Tuesday, uh, we had our, our final bike racing night for the year. And my, two of our boys had their first bike racing crash. <laughs> it was one of those moments that goes in slow motion and you hear the noise of, of bike going against bike. And it's in the final sprint finish and there's, they're all coming into the straight and Joseph's gone down, and another girl's gone down, and then Nathaniel's had nowhere to go because they have no brakes and you can't stop pedaling. And he goes flying over the top of the other two bikes, straight over the handlebars, and lands on his head and rolls over the bike a few times. And I'm the dad going, no, I'm getting ready to take a photo at the finish. And I'm suddenly like, I don't care about who wins the race anymore. I'm going for my boys. <laughs> and, and I scooped them up and we carried them out and, and laid them down and got some ice and bandaged them up. And they can't wait to get back on the bikes again. <laughs> and, you know, even the best riders, ever, even the best riders crash. Uh, a few days before that, it was one of the biggest races in Australia called the Austral, a race I used to race in every year. And there was a, a, a crash where half the field went down. The world's best riders went down in that crash. And, you know, every one of us crashes at times. But God, like our loving Father, anyone who will acknowledge Him as their Father. He will scoop them up. He will lift them up. He will set their feet back on the ground. And He wants to help us to run again, to live again, to have life again. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter where we've been. He will come in like a dad picking up their, their son that is injured and wounded and crying a lot. He wants to come in. He wants to scoop us up. He wants to help us. He wants to lift us up and give us new life. But first, we've got to acknowledge that He is our Father. We've got to acknowledge and bow our knee and say, Thank you, God, for what you've done for me. I just want to look really briefly at the two responses we saw in Matthew chapter 2. It says, The wise men came. Those wise men traveled possibly hundreds and hundreds of miles. They travelled for, for many days to get to see this baby Jesus. They, they heard what had been written, they, they'd studied who he was, they saw the star and they said, this is the one, this is the saviour that's been born. They didn't wait for any confirmation, they didn't wait for any other sign. They believed that this was God's chosen one come to rescue the world. And they travelled day after day after day on these camels or whatever it was and they arrived and gave precious gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They, they gave amazing gifts to this tiny little baby. 
because they believed that this was God's saviour of the world. They responded in worship. They bowed their knee and said, God, we thank you for this child, for what this child is going to do through his life. And they gave glory to God in that moment. But then we have this other person, King Herod. And King Herod hears about this Savior that's been born, and he goes, I've heard something about this promised Savior of God. And he calls in the, the teachers and he says, where's the pro promised Savior meant to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem. And they're right, he was born in Bethlehem. And does Herod have a party and say, yes, the Savior's come, fantastic, let's all go and worship him. Well, he kind of says that, but he's lying. <laughs> he just wants to kill this baby. He just wants the power for himself. He doesn't want to bow to anyone. He is so proud of who he is. He, he feels like a god. And he, he refuses to bow. He refuses to acknowledge this Savior and the true and living God. You know, throughout Jesus' lifetime, it was the same everywhere Jesus went. Some people acknowledged who he was. They, they worshipped him. They, they acknowledged who he was and they praised God for him. And yet others rejected him. They, they couldn't comprehend what he was doing. They couldn't believe that this could be the promised Messiah. Even as he healed people, some people rejoiced and some people said, this can't be the Saviour because he didn't do it right. He, he didn't do it on the right day of the week. He didn't let us get involved. He wants the glory and we should get the glory because we're the teachers. And they refused to bow their knee, to bow in their hearts and worship God. Have a listen to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and verse 40. It says, When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where the King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. It's interesting, those who said this can't be the Saviour because he wasn't born in Bethlehem because he grew up in Galilee thought he wasn't born in Bethlehem, so they said he can't be the saviour. They should have done some study and some research to find out where he was born and said, oh, maybe he can be. And then even at Jesus' death, at his crucifixion, we see these same two attitudes of the people. It says in Luke 23, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And down to verse 39, it says, One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And the next two, few verses talk about the Roman officer that was overseeing the execution. Who, that was his job. That's what he did day after day. He oversaw executions. It says that the darkness fell across the land and there was an earthquake 
and this Roman centurion bowed down and said, surely this is the Son of God. There was something different about this man. And it's interesting, you, you can look at history of that area in Eastern Mediterranean historians, Thallus and Julius Africanus and others that talk about this earthquake, this darkness that came across the land for three hours in the middle of the day. And we can see that the different responses to what happened in that moment. Some said, surely this is the Messiah. This is the name above all other names. And they worshipped him. And yet others refused to believe. I want to finish with two passages. The first one from Mark chapter 16. Sorry, before his birth, during his life and after his death and resurrection, opinions were divided. And often with opposing arguments as to why he couldn't be the Savior. Some people argued he can't have died in his crucifixion because he was definitely alive. But then some argues, no, he can't be the saviour because he, he can't be alive because he was definitely dead. Even the arguments as to why he couldn't be the saviour opposed each other. And I imagine they had fights about why he couldn't be the saviour because he's not dead or he's not alive. I, they couldn't decide. But Mark chapter 16 says, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he asks them, who do people say that I am? And he turns to them and he says, But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. God wants to give us a revelation of who he is, to understand what he has done, the Savior that was born, that we celebrate at Christmas time. Who do we say that he is? And finally, I want to read Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Paul says this, Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he, talking about the lame man that had just been healed, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There is no other name. No other name by which we can be saved. The Bible makes it clear that we have a choice to believe in the one God sent or reject him, but there is no other way to be saved. As it says in Philippians, God gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. This Savior, this Jesus is worth celebrating. He is the one worthy of our, our lives. He's one, the one worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. He is the Savior of the world. He is the name above all names. And this morning, we're going to finish with a song. We're going to finish with this song about the name of Jesus. And death could not hold him down. He, he defeated sin and death. That's why Jesus' birth, his life, 
His death and His resurrection are so special. And we have the privilege of knowing Him, be able to have a relationship with Him, and have eternal life because of Him. So this morning, can we stand? I just want to pray, and then we're going to sing this great song as we close our service today. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your love for us, that You came to this world. That even though you were God in heaven, that you chose to, to leave the comfort of heaven, to endure all that you went through on this earth, to suffer and die on a cross for our sin. And then, Lord Jesus, you rose again victorious. And you tell us that anyone who will acknowledge who you are, anyone who will, will bow their knee, that will confess who you are, Lord Jesus, we too can have eternal life because of what you've done for us. We thank you, God. Lord, I pray that you would so fill our minds with the truths of your word today. And Lord, every day that we would be so aware of who you are, of all that you've done. That Lord, you would stir our hearts with worship. That you would stir our hearts with praise. And Lord, you would help us to explain this hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing and declare this in worship to God this morning. <laughs>